Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Heming Brain List podcast of excellence. Talking about book two, chapter six, chapter five, sorry. Um, is Nikolai showing integrity or immaturity by refusing to make amends? That's a good question. Um, I feel like it's, it, it's integrity, but it's out of context. And I don't think he realizes sort of the code of honor within a regiment with your band of brothers. He's sort of, I think one of the other guys says it pretty well where it's like he'll, he'll graduate from this regiment because he's, um, you know, he's from such a good family. He's such a, a um, high society kind of guy that it's obvious that he will graduate and, and, and move up the ranks. So for him, the regiment, the honor of that regiment as a whole um, won't affect him that much. But then there's you know, a lot of the other people in the regiment, they're kind of lifers, you know, that's that's their home. That's the best they'll do. And that's those those guys are their brothers kind of thing. And so to see shame brought upon the regiment has no like doesn't have the same effect on Rostov who'll be moving up out of it. And also I think he's very fresh to the whole military lifestyle of, you know, it's not always about telling the God's honest truth. Sometimes it's about what's the best thing to do for your guys, you know, for your crew. Uh, and so you have to be flexible with your morals in situations like that, you know? Um, that's a great question, though. Courtesy of Seven of Nine, by the way, this discussion prompts. At the end of the chapter, we learn that the regiment is going on the march and will presumably see action soon. How do you predict the different characters we've seen so far, Nikolai, Andrei, Dolokhov, Zerkov, etc., will fare in actual battle? Brainless Shooter said, finally, a day I could post... Oh, excuse me, yawning. A day I can post without being late with the chapter. I'm really liking Nikolai in these two last chapters. As for his this interaction, I'd say it's a mix of integrity and idealism, characteristic of how young he is. Shows that while he is a good person, he still doesn't understand all the intricacies that go into keeping morale in a regiment. Yeah, well, hey, we just said very similar things. He doesn't understand the intricacies that go into keeping morale within the regiment. And now onto the battle, I expect from Nikolai to behave honorably, taking care of his fellows as well as attacking bravely to show that he really cares. Andre seems more the cold, calculating type, so I don't see him taking any chances. Dolokhov definitely the one who will is definitely the one who will go out, go all out, risking his skin and all. Warren Kofifi says, "I think that Nikolai is getting a cold splash of how things in the real world aren't so black and white." He likely thought reporting the thief would have been the simple thing to do on paper, but he's finding out that politics can often get in the way. My money is on Dolokhov and Andre for being the most successful in battle. They both seem to have the best minds for that sort of thing. Nikolai might be the least suited, based on him starting to cry with, uh, yeah, with the conversation with the officers, and I can't help but feel like Zerkov will be the first to die since he comes off as so annoying and immature. He's the goofball, isn't he, Zerkov? Ripster66 says, I think Nikolai is realising that he is in a different world now. What would have been proper behaviour, if a bit rash, is now an offence. Reporting a theft in front of other officers is an embarrassment to the whole regiment. He's not used to thinking 
in terms of what is best for a large group. The old fellows who have been around a while set him straight and he'll probably make things right, though it stings his pride a bit to have read the situation so wrong. I'm curious to see how all these characters will face actual battle. It's hard to watch them be so eager and naive before entering into the fray. Tetriski said my favourite line was said by Zerkov reacting to how Rostov looked under the scrutiny of the conversation. What's the matter, Rostov? You look as if you'd just come out of a hot bath. It really hammers home the physical manifestation of Rostov's discomfort and paints the picture through dialogue. He's all hot and bothered. Yeah, that is a good description. Uh... The Qureshi says, some years ago, I read the first 10% of 100 classic books. Oh, wow. Okay. This is the first chapter I've never read. (laughs) However, I had completely forgotten everything before, so it all seemed new to me anyway. We're at 10.2% of the way through the book. Oh, wow. Thanks for that info, Qureshi. And that's pretty funny that you read 10% of 100 books. Um, You could have read... Um, just, you could have read, oh no, I'm trying to do maths. You could have read 10 books, 10 full books. Um, all right, what else? Ah, this might sound a stupid question, says Chelsea Cadu, but is Mac a person or a term used to describe the Austrian army? No stupid questions. Um, I remember thinking the same question. Uh, the Austrian army kind of like an allied nickname for Germany is like a Jerry in World War II. Mac was an actual person. Mac was the general, says Corsio, with bandaged head two chapters ago. So he was the general who just got beaten up and retreated um, and he turned up to their camp with a bandaged head to report to Kutuzov that he had um, lost against the French. Um, all right, let's read. Let's keep reading. Um, chapter 6 goes like this. Kutuzov fell back towards Vienna, bringing down the bridges behind him, the ones over the Inn River in Brunau and the Trau near Linz. On October 23rd, the Russian troops were crossing the Enns River. At midday, their baggage train artillery and droves of their troops were filing through the town of Enns on both sides of the bridge. It was an autumnal day, rainy and warm. Whoops, what the heck did I just press? I just scrolled all the way to the top of the book for some accidental reason. Um, where the heck was I? Chapter 6, come on. Sorry about this, guys. I must have had the cursor at the start of the book, and then when I went to press down, the cursor was way up. Um, okay, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, it was an autumnal day, rainy and warm. The Russian batteries were perched high above, guarding the bridge from across a wide expanse. At times, the bridge was obscured by a greyish curtain of slanting rain, and then the sun shower would clear, and in the distance there'd be far-off objects glittering in sunlight as if freshly varnished. Down below, the little town of Enns could be seen, with its white houses and their roofs, red roofs, its cathedral and its bridge, on both sides of which... There were heaps of Russian troops streaming along, just north of Enns, at the bend of the Dunabi River. Vessels became visible, and an island on which was a castle with a park surrounded by the confluence of waters where the Enns River split off from the Danube. And the rocky far bank of the Danube could be seen too, 
which was covered in pine forests with a mystic background of green treetops and bluish gorges. You could see the turrets of a convent sticking out from behind a wild virgin pine forest, and off in the distance, on the other side of the end, the enemy's horse patrols could be could just be made out. At the lip of the hill, among the field guns, the general in command of the rear guard stood with a staff officer scanning the country through his field glass. A little behind them, Nesvitsky, who had been sent to the rear guard by the commander-in-chief, was sitting on the back of a gun carriage. The Cossack who was with him had given him a knapsack and a flask, and Nesvitsky was treating some officers to pie and authentic doppelkumul. The officers were stoked to gather round him for grub, some kneeling on the wet grass and some squatting Turkish style. Yeah, nah, he was an idiot, the Austrian prince who built that castle. Sorry, I read that wrong. Yeah, nah, he was no idiot, the Austrian prince who built that castle. What a beauty. Why aren't you eating anything, guys? Dig in, Nesvitsky was saying. Thanks very much, prince, answered one of the officers who was happy to be talking to such an important staff officer. It is a real nice place. Yeah, we walked real close to the park and saw two deer, and that house is bloody gorgeous. Look, Prince, said another, who really wanted to grab another pie but was too shy, and so instead pretended to be really interested in the countryside. Check it out, our lot are already down there. See, down in the meadow behind the village, there's three of our infantrymen dragging something. They'll ransack that castle, he remarked, evidently approving of the notion. Yeah, I reckon they will, said Nesvitsky. Nah, but you know what I like to do? He added, munching a pin... What? Munching a pie in his moist-lipped handsome mouth. I'd like to slip in over there. He pointed with a smile to a turreted nunnery, and his eyes narrowed and he gleamed. Oh yeah, that's what's up, gentlemen. The officers laughed. Just to stir up the nuns a wee bit. They reckon there's Italian girls in there. I swear I'd give five years of my life for it. They're probably as bored as we are, said one of the bolder officers, laughing. Meanwhile, the staff officer standing in front pointed something out to the general, who looked at it through his field glass. Yep, you're right, you're right, said the general angrily, lowering the field glass and shrugging his shoulders. You are bloody right. They'll be fired on that crossing. Why the hell are they dawdling there? They'll be fired on... Uh, I read that wrong, I wrote it wrong. They'll be fired on at that crossing. Why the hell are they dawdling there? On the opposite side, the enemy could be seen by the naked eye, and from the enemy battery came a milk-white puff of cloud, then came the distant crack of the shot, then the Russian troops could be seen hauling ass to the crossing. Nesvitsky hopped up and puffing his chest went over to the general, smiling. Would you like a little refreshment, Your Excellency? He said, Shocking business, no good, said the general without answering him. Our men have been taking their sweet time. Should I ride over there, Your Excellency? asked Nesvitsky. Yeah, please do, answered the general. And he repeated the order that had already been given in detail. Ride over and tell the hussars that they will cross the ends last and then destroy the bridge as I ordered. And any bits of the bridge that don't burn, they must re-inspect. All good, answered Nesvitsky. Nesvitsky called the Cossack with his horse, told him to put the knapsack and flask away and swung his bulky ass easily onto the saddle. 
I really will call in on those nuns, he said to the smiling officers who watched him, and he rode off along the winding path down the hill. Worth a shot, Captain. Have a crack at him, said the general, turning to an artillery officer. Have a little fun to pass the time. Crew, to your guns, commanded the officer. Quickly, the men came running cheerfully from their campfired campfire and started loading. One, came the command. Number one jumped briskly aside. The gun rang out with a deafening metallic roar and a grenade went whistling through the air above the heads of our troops below the hill, then fell far short of the enemy, a little puff of smoke showing the spot where it burst. The faces of the officers and men brightened up at the sound. Everyone got up to watch the reaction of our troops below, as plainly visible as if by a stone's throw away, and to watch the movements of the approaching enemy further off. At the same time as all this, the sun decided to show its lovely face from behind a cloud, and the clear ringing of that single shot and the brilliance of the sunshine merged together into a single glorious moment. It was pretty sick. Alright guys, there you go, there's chapter 6 for you. A shot's been fired. Shot's fired. Alright, have your say about that one over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.